Welcome to the Hammer and Quill, a Bonhoeffer House podcast exploring the good, true, and beautiful in the lives and vocations of interesting people. This is episode nine, a conversation about summer reading. This is an this is episode nine is a conversation where Michael and I are going to sit down and we are going to make some recommendations for some good summer reading, hopefully from all over the board. And so before we do that, Michael, I've got Michael here. We're, I'm, we're, we're here. Well, we're not here in the worldwide headquarters of the Bonhoeffer House. I'm here in the worldwide headquarters of the Bonhoeffer House. Michael, you're joining us from beautiful Floyd, Virginia via Zoom. And it looks to me like you got quite a haircut, Michael. What happened? You, yeah, just, got, right. you just got tired of it? I mean, it looks great. <laughs> Raving review. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you got that haircut that looks like you got tired of having hair. Yeah. It, it got, it started to get warm and I was doing stuff outside and mowing the lawn. One thing, one thing led to the other. Like, yeah. I'm just ready to, you just set that, um, ready to set those clippers on, off. set those clippers on a, what it looks like a number six. And you just went over. Just nah, this is, this is an eight. An this eight? Is, okay. Uh, as long as you could get as, it. As long as I can get it. Mm. I just have, uh, just have thick hair so yeah you you established that in a previous episode yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, thought, I thought i established in a previous episode that i had fast growing hair oh i think you're right um, i think you just happen to yeah. brag about your hair a lot <laughs> the mustache well, is looking good too is in uh oh you're a, you come from a hair so, the hair industry that's right yeah i, I kind of i should have better hair than i do mm just just based on my um upbringing my family family yeah mm. do they uh, let you know that do they know that i no, do they let do off? they let you know that oh <laughs> you should have better no. hair than you do no they're they're very supportive of of most of everything i do so mm. um they're they're awesome they don't they don't uh critique me on my hair decisions or uh, things like that. So good, good. Well, and they'll, hey, and they'll, they'll probably be listening too. So shout out, shout out, shout out, world family, world hair and, empire. And, and, yeah, really, it's the it's the Russo. Uh, oh, I know the style. Russos. Ah, oh, the Russos. That at least pops pops Russo is who started the mm. uh, the the dynasty, the hair dynasty, the hair <laughs> mafia dynasty in seven five seven area code. That's right. Well, last week Rudy, we we had we Rudy had and Kelly. Last week we had quite an episode, right? We had Charles yeah. Wilson on. You know what? Originally we conceived of as a bonus episode. As a matter of fact, uh, Michael, you and I we we thought this would be a short conversation. We'll just grab Charles. We'll grab thirty minutes, and we'll ask him for just hey, give us some some thoughts about how do we think well uh, and Christianly. How do we respond Christianly to? Uh, the news of of racial injustice in our land, and uh, what what we thought would be a quick bonus episode really turned into a a robust and full and still, uh, it still feels like it's like one quarter of the conversation we could have and maybe should eventually have. Uh, but man, what a what a joy it was! What a blessing! I was learning things in the conversation. I I've gone back through it, re listened to it. 
uh, and, and really benefited from that time with Charles last week. Uh, and so uh, how about you? How was it for you having that conversation? And have you had conversations with folks since then about it? Yeah, um, it was great. And, and I totally agree. Um, it felt like we were kind of just getting in to the, to the meat of the conversation. Um, and I, I, I particularly have kind of latched on to um, you know, Charles talking about the intention that went into uh, the white community in particular, taking steps away from the black community mm. um, and how, which is not unique to, to not unique to Northwest Roanoke where he's, you know, his context is, um, you know, it is a pretty, uh, uh, you know, there was white flight out of Northwest Roanoke. There's, you know, there, there in Melrose and in that area is, is, it's a challenging place to live and do ministry. But, but that idea of white flight from urban areas is not unique to Roanoke. Right. Right. And so, you know, hearing, hearing him talking about that in, intentionality that went into those decisions and then, and then flipping that around and saying, why would we think that, that, that it wouldn't require the same level of intention to, or, or really even more uh, to create the unity and, and particularly, you know, for our context, the, the revelation, uh, gospel unity, gospel diversity that, that we are hoping for. Um, why would we imagine that it wouldn't take the same level of intention, um, and so that's kind of stuck with me. And, and so I've been thinking a lot about um, intentional learning, intentional listening, intentional reading, like what, what can all of those things look like? Intentional confession um, and, re- and repentance. Um, yeah, just been thinking a lot about how can I uh, be, you know, not only someone who's personally practicing uh, intentional steps towards uh, people who are different than me, um, towards, uh, the black community in particular. Um, but how can I be a voice that's helping to encourage others? Hey, let's, let's do this together. Let's, um, take intentional steps. So, um, that's kind of what's been sticking with me. And I have, I have had a couple conversations, um, had a conversation with, um, my mom and dad. I've had a conversation with my sister. Um, I've had a conversation with my mother-in-law. Um, and then just with a couple of the guys in my community group, um, Mm. which has been cool. It's been, it's been cool to hear from, from all of them and and get to have, you know, just, just snippets of conversations here and there. Yeah. I've been encouraged, uh, the most, this is that episode has, uh, has led to the most follow-up conversations, uh, and mostly they've been really fruitful and positive. Um, and I agree with you, Michael, my, as I re-listened and thought back over uh, the conversation, um, the idea of intentionality and um, in a kind of embodied presence, uh, uh, proximity was the a word he kept using, was really helpful for me because part of why I wanted to have the conversation is um, judging by my friends and, and uh, tr- truthfully, uh, uh, social media friends aren't really friends, right? Judging by... The people that I know on social media follow and um, there's really, it's, you know, 
one one day it's say more, the next day it's say less. Um, you know, it's 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 uh, do something or don't do something. Say something or don't. And and really, it it can become very like, oh, geez, I don't what 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 do I do? How do I? Am I supposed to speak up or am I supposed to be quiet and listen? Am I? And so uh, having having that conversation with Charles and really considering the 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 ongoing. Um, integrity of life, of intentionality, of proximity, of of stepping into relationships with intention, uh, mattering more than in the moment. Like, how how do I respond in public in the moment uh, about something that's uh, big news? But but if if all, the only time I'm ever doing anything is speaking out on Twitter when when there's injustice, then that's a problem. And so that that to me was a huge helpful takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even marrying that with, you know, Charles story of his own family and Walter's, you know, from, yeah. from that interview, Walter's story of his family, like what, what's your prayer life look like? Uh, are you, are you praying for, uh, reconciliation and, and justice and, and are you praying for the growth of the church and, and the growth of our, our nation and, and the growth of your community. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, we're, we're on the same page, man. What a, what a good conversation that was and look forward to having follow-ups with Charles. Hey, some other things I'm looking forward to, Michael, we've got, uh, we've got some really excellent episodes coming up. We've got an episode coming up where we're going to talk with our friend, Craig Robinson, Craig and Zoe Robinson planting the Cairn church, uh, in the Bow Valley outside of, uh, Calgary and Alberta, Canada. We're going to talk to him about church planting in a post-Christian or maybe it's pre-Christian uh, Canada. Uh, we've got Reese Bazant. Dr. Reese Bazant will be joining us in June to talk about mentoring, which he's written about, talk about uh, theological formation. He teaches in a seminary and mentors uh, really uh, quite a few young men and, and now not so young men that are in pastoral ministry. We've got uh, also in June, uh, Dr. Jerry McDermott will be joining us. Jerry just uh, just retired like weeks ago, just retired from uh, his post as the chair of Anglican Divinity at Beeson uh, in, in Birmingham, Alabama. Before that, he was teaching at Roanoke College. Jerry is, a, you know, Jerry is, is such a unique person because he's like a, um, he's like a, 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 a thought leader in multiple different and unrelated theological world. So he's, he's the guy on Edwards. Um, now he's the guy on uh, Israel and, and a, a, a new Christian Zionism. Uh, he's a world, world religion scholar. And on top of that, he's written on stuttering, famous stutterers. So we're going to have Jerry on and we're going to really dive into his career as a theologian. Now he's, he's retiring. Um, and, and so we just want to pick his brain about what has, what's his, Path been like, uh, get advice from him on up and coming theologians for up and coming theologians and pastors. I'm excited. We've got Hannah Anderson, uh, the author of um, All That's Good, Made for More, many other books, uh, and uh, an upcoming book on um, really on uh, God through natural revelation. And so excited to have her on. She's a friend of the Bonhoeffer House. She she's local here in the Blue Ridge Mountains and. Uh, excited to have her on. So 
Uh, got a really fun slate coming up here on the Hammer and Quill, which is a podcast where we're diving into the good, the true, and the beautiful in people's lives and vocations, really using Philippians 4, 8 as our, uh, as our matrix, right? That's like our key for, for our, our, our kind of guide for our curiosity into the lives and vocations of our guests. Philippians 4, 8 tells us that, brothers, whatever's true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things. And so excited to do that with those guests we've got lined up. But today is a little bit different. This week on episode nine, we are Michael and I are sitting down having a conversation about what we have recently read and what we're planning to read this summer. And with the hope that this conversation would serve as a kind of summer reading recommendation guide for you, our listeners. So a few things before we jump in and describe some of these books. Um, you know, I don't know about you, Michael, but I'm coming at this uh, not just, I'm not just recommending new books. So I do actually have a couple on here that are hot off the presses, uh, but most of them aren't new. It's just, I just happen to be reading them now, right? It might be because they've sat on my, I've got a, a um, it's kind of a depressing queue of books. So it's my to read cue. I, I plan to read these books. Someone recommends them or I read a good review on them uh, or they're connected with a class that I'm going to be teaching or a sermon series we're working on. And so, uh, and it grows. And sometimes I, do you ever like go through your emails and it's, if it's like more than six months old, you just delete it. You don't even file it. Do you do that? I, are you an I email pretty, collector? Um, diligently, sort my emails and you put them so, in, and you put them in files. Yeah, I have labels. Um, and I usually don't have more than 10, uh, emails in my inbox at, at any one point. So no. <laughs> that applause is for you for being a champion email clear. Well, uh, some of us aren't like you, Michael, and some of us struggle more. And, and so sometimes I just go through my, my, my to to do book list, my book, my book pile. And I just go, you know what? I don't think I'm going to read this. I'm just going to put it on the shelf. So, but some of these (laughs) are actually drawn from my to to read list because I'm going to be reading them here, uh, this month or the next, this summer. Uh, and so they, these books might not be new, uh, Maybe I'm rereading them. Maybe you're rereading them. Uh, and then a, a couple other things, um, or one other thing I want to say at the outset is, uh, you know, I, I, in these book reviews, or not reviews, recommendations, I'm not necessarily going to be recommending everything in every book. Uh, um, you know, I think it's healthy for us to read things that we might even, you know, I, I find myself nodding in agreement a lot of times when I read but I also find myself shaking my head uh, in, in disagreement or, uh, or writing little notes to the author on my book. Do you do that? I'm, I write little notes. I'm like, you're wrong here, buddy, uh, as if they're going to hear yeah. from me. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really important conversation um, because if, if you're not reading things that you disagree with, you really are just collecting a, a group of yes men in the form of books uh, to to applaud you on what you already believe <laughs> or what you already think. Um, 
and so I'm, I'm totally with you. I think, I think it's, it's really important, um, to not always agree with everything that you take in. Um, so I'll write question marks in the margins, uh, or thought bubbles in the margins. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I learned this from you, but I've got, I've got a ruler and I'm underlining and marking stuff. Which that is the, um, that is the, the official right way to underline in your book. You need a straight yeah. edge. It doesn't have to be a ruler. But I, I recently saw Karen Swallow Pryor, a previous uh, guest here on the Hammer and Quill, posted her, her underlining in her books, and it was hideous. It was, I mean, <laughs> she really ought to be ashamed of herself. <laughs> yeah, we're not Karen, barbarians. We, we, That's the term, we, right? <laughs> we love you, but we're not barbarians. And so you just, you know, if yeah, you, we have tools. Yeah. And this is why you can't use a receipt as your bookmark because you can't use a receipt as your, as your underlining guide, your straight edge. You got to find something like cardstock, something with, uh, with a, with a harder edge. And, and also I've found this out. You have to find, uh, something that, um, the color contrasts with the page or else it's hard to keep the line straight, right? If it's this, if you got a cream colored, business card as your straight edge, it ain't going to work because then you're going to be all cattywampus. You don't want to be cattywampus. Yeah. Anyway, you know what? Yeah. You, you underline how you want to underline. I'm just telling you the right way to do it. But you don't have to be right. And so it's okay to be wrong when you underline. As long as you're doing some reading, we're happy. And so let's let's make some recommendations here, Michael. Let, let's start with you. Give, give us uh, one or two. Maybe give us the first book that you are recommending, something that you're working through right now or have recently. Um, I really recently, you know, you, I think you recommended this to me, which probably happens a lot because you, uh, you recommend a lot of things. Um, but I just, I just recently finished given, um, by Tina Bosch and, uh, it's, it's a book on blessing and, and it's a what phenomenal book means. Go ahead. It's phenomenal. It's such a great book on it blessing. Is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it has uh, pretty immediately impacted my own prayer life and pretty immediately impacted even my own way of um, thinking about others. Um, so, so, you know, regular, uh, a regular practice and a regular habit of mine in pastoral ministry is, is to weekly pray for my member care group. Um, and I've started really because of that book, I've started, um, to write out most of those prayers, um, and to end all of those prayers with a blessing. Mm. Um, mm. and then another thing that's, that's come out of that book, um, is I've, I've, you know, I pretty intentionally tried to picture, um, the, the people that I'm praying over in my mind, um, and, and imagine them as i as I pray the blessing in particular. Um, and it's, it's been really helpful for my own soul. Um, even just in the, my, my love for and affection for those people. Um, but then also just in, yeah, in resourcing my thinking about, man, what am I trying to do as I, as I pray for these um, people and, and really what am I trying to do as I pray in general? So, um, and then it, man, it just points, 
she she does a great job of of connecting all of it to uh jesus yeah and it was awesome i'd like to second that recommendation um i read that last year uh and especially helps make sense of what 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 does the bible mean what what is what is blessing in a biblical and uh cultural setting kind of way i I just highly recommend it all right what else are you going to be reading michael um I'll just really quickly give this one because I, I I already wrote about it in Quarantine Corner, and I think I maybe even talked about it in the in the Quarantine Corner podcast that we did. Um, but it's it's uh, I think affected my own life and thinking so much that I I just want to give it another shout out. Um, Untangling emotions um, by J. Alistair Smith and or J. Alistair Groves and Winston Smith. Um, it's it's a, a really accessible uh, and yet comprehensive biblical theology of emotion. Um, and so I have found myself wrestling more and more with, uh, yeah, just the, the role of emotion in the Christian life, I think particularly in our mm. cultural moment. Um, we, we are a high emotion people. Um, and, and so I've just wanted to know how to think well about that. And, and, and this book was really helpful for me. And I, and I myself tend towards stoicism. I I tend towards, let me, let me just kind of keep my emotions at bay, keep them masked, uh, and, and not deal with them. <laughs> um, and it's helped me to, to kind of come a little bit more towards the middle and see, you know, I need to, I need to engage with, with what I'm feeling. I need to confess it in some instances and I need to express it in, in others. And, um, yeah, so just, just really helpful, um, really solid resource. Mm. Mm, that reminds me, uh, one of the one of the books that I'll recommend is a book called The Road to Character by David Brooks. And in it, he talks about, he's, he's profiling someone and talks about uh, the social critic Rochelle Gerstein uh, calls two different philosophical dispositions about our internal life. The, one is the party of reticence and the other is the party of exposure. And that, um, that you know, and it, and it clearly connects with emotions that... Um, that you kind of have people with one of two different ways of viewing their internal world. One, one people, the people, the party of reticence, we want to keep it inside. Like to, to bring it out is to uh, degrade it, to somehow cheapen it, um, or to expose ourselves to a, a kind of um, danger that is not worth it. Uh, and meanwhile, the party of exposure it would be the party that says, uh, this actually isn't doesn't become... Uh, a full expression until it's outside of me. Um, and it's better to just get it all out there. Let's, let's kind of work it out. This is how intimacy is, is built in, in interpersonal relationships. And I'm also on the party of reticence and uh, find myself sometimes both maddened and jealous of people that are on the other side that are like, hey, let's just get it all out there. And I'm like, well, let's not. Let's just uh, keep it all in. Yeah. And uh, it's just, just watch some sports and, and pass the food. And so uh, I, I think maybe I would benefit from reading that book this summer, Michael. Thank you. That's Untangling Emotions. Um, 
And while we're at it, I'll just go ahead and make that recommendation of The Road to Character by David Brooks. Um, not a particularly Christian uh, or e- evangelical book, um, but a really, really engaging book, an engaging book that I'm about a quarter of the way through right now. Heard I've heard really good things about it. Um, his writing style is easy to read. Um, you know, he's a uh, professor at, I believe it's Harvard, writes for the New York Times, uh, and um, really just talks about uh, quite a bit about the type of life it takes uh, of, of habitual um, uh, practicing of virtue in order to gain character, to become a, 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 a man or woman of character. And so, um, yeah, recommend it. I think this, The Road to Character would be a book that you could read, say, on vacation. You know, it's not super light, but it's also not going to be, um, you don't have to sit there with your... Um, your ruler and your pen and slow down super slow. You can just kind of, kind of read through it and, and um, engage with the stories he's telling the people that he's profiling uh, recommend. All right. You got something else, Michael, you want to recommend? Yeah. Um, here, this is another one that you, uh, you had uh, some of the guys read going through the Bonhoeffer house, but Godric by uh. Frederick uh, Buchner. I just recently picked up Brendan and am almost done with, with Brendan. And so I was reminded and, and I've really enjoyed Brendan um, as well, but it just reminded me of Godric and, and it's Godric's the better of the two. Um, but Brendan's really but good. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. And, and both of these are, both of these are um, historical fiction books about real saints. Yes. Saint got a retelling of the life of Saint Godric, a retelling of the life of Saint ben- Brendan. Um, Real saints and both in the, of, in the uh, venerated in the Roman Catholic Church. That is, keep going. Yeah, yeah, and both of them told you know, um, really with with like key uh, companions. Um, Godric is told to uh, Reginald, the the monk assigned to write Godric's uh, hagiography saintly biography which godric, um, he, godric torments him throughout the whole it's novel. so it's so funny uh and so good um yeah and then brendan told by um oh gosh i'm blanking on his name now um it's not finn anyways Bren, brendan's story is told by uh, a narrator who's a close companion um but both of them are are whimsical and um, really, really humorous, and and uh, they they really weave together the, the spiritual life and and the embodied life. Uh, in, yeah, if, if you, if, I mean, yeah, if you haven't read Frederick Buechner's uh, fiction, this, let this be the recommendation. Let this be the summer that that changes. Neither of these books are particularly long. We're, we're really talking more like novellas, right? This is maybe 100 pages or so uh, per book. Yeah. Godric's a little bit shorter. Um, so Godric's probably 150 or less. Um, and right. Brendan, I think, is right around 200. But they're little, they're little pages. Yep. Yep. Easy to read. Well, well, actually, let me say this. Godric in particular there's a language that you have to get into for Godric. 
Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and Buchner writes with such um, verve and grit and earth. There's an earthiness to it. It's like um, you know, some of some of you listeners probably you're good Baptists and you don't drink anything, but others of you might drink like a Scotch whiskey, a single and and, and Buechner, he's he's from uh, I don't know New Hampshire or something, but uh, yeah, but he East. but he writes like Scotch. Like there's there's um, there's heat, there's peatiness, there's smoke, there's grit, uh, but there's a kind of um, man. Once you get into it, you're just you're in. So I second that too, man. You're making some good recommendations today, Michael. Uh, let me make a few, okay? So um, let me run through a few that I have read recently. One is called "Reappearing Church" by Mark Sayers. Mark Sayers is a uh, Australian pastor in Melbourne. And this, I think, is part two. I think he he wrote a book called Disappearing Church, but that s- sounded too depressing to me, so I didn't read it. Uh, <laughs> I just read Reappearing Church, and uh, its its subtitle is The Hope for Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Um, our context here in Southwest Virginia in the kind of um, top of the Bible belt is quite different than Melbourne, Australia, which might, might even be pre-Christian. Um, but, uh, but man, I found a lot, a lot to be encouraged by and challenged by. I, I spent a lot more time this spring praying for renewal, um, studying the scriptures and, 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 and looking for um, uh, scriptures that could encourage me to trust God for bigger things than just we're going to make it through this pandemic. Uh, but actually, what might this pandemic, uh, wh- how might God use this pandemic to bring about renewal in our region of of churches. And so uh, I recommend it. Now, I do have a little, um, I, I suppose it's, this is already obvious to our listeners with my comments on um, the right way to underline, but I'm, I get kind of persnickety with, with books and formats. And um, I, I do wish it didn't have so many like charts and key, it feels like every page has this little breakout box called key renewal principle. And it's like, I can't, there's just too many key renewal principles. Just give me a couple. So I suppose that probably has nothing to do with Mark Sayer's writing. The writing itself is fantastic. Recommend the book. Um, another one that I'm currently reading, and this is a bit different. I'm reading this book with my kids. We do this, I'd like to say every morning. And, and if I was trying to sound good, I would say every morning. But the truth is, it's not every morning. Uh, maybe half the mornings, we do family devotions together. And there's a book that's edited by David Helm. Uh, Chicago pastor wrote has written on um, exp- expositional preaching for nine marks. Uh, this book, I think it's the same guy. Well, we're going to assume it is. This book is called uh, Small Devotionals, Big Beliefs, Introducing Your Family to Big Truths. And uh, it follows through, I don't know, one of the, uh, maybe the Westminster Catechism, one of the catechisms, but it takes, uh, that's right, Westminster Catechism, and takes uh, takes what it would be really dense, theological truths and boils it down, brings it down to um, something that even I can read to my seven-year-old, my nine-year-old, my 10-year-old uh, has a Bible passage that goes with each one. So um, so it, it doesn't feel overwhelmingly like, oh, I got to do this and a Bible devotional. It's just kind of like you just kind of pick it up and it says, oh, read, um, you know, read Romans, Romans 5, 12 through 21. And then, and then, so we read that as a family, then we read through a paragraph or two, and then there's uh, two or so questions for interaction that we'll ask as a family and then a little a little prayer prompt. Um, so it's great, you know, 15 minutes and you're in the word, you're you're having a little discussion and you're praying together. Um, 
yeah, yeah, highly recommend that if you've got little kids and you're trying to figure out what do I do with them? How, how can I do a devotion with them that isn't an hour long in the morning if you, maybe you got to rush to work uh, or the mornings like they are in our house? I don't have to rush to work and they're still uh, crazy. Kids are, you know, cereals flying everywhere, milk's being spilled here, kids are crying over there. Um, so recommend that. Um, so I already mentioned The Road to Character. Uh, another one that I'm currently reading that I want to recommend is a book by Jerry McDermott called Everyday Glory. Uh, the subtitle is The Revelation of God in All of Reality. Now, we're actually going to have Jerry on this podcast here in about a month, and one of the things we're going to do is ask him quite a bit about this book. So uh, I'll save things. I'll save, uh, I'll save the depth for that interview, but I, I'll say that it, this is a weird book. Okay, it's, so the way I've been describing it is a strange but beautiful book. Um, in some ways, it's a, um, a kind of uh, uh, everyday theology of natural revelation. That is, how does God reveal himself, as Psalm 19 tells us, in the, in the heavens and the glories around us, uh, the sky above, and so on. But in another way, it's, it's, it's um, pretty in-depth theology of types, types being a tupos in Greek, which uh, means a sign that is pointing to realities of Christ and the kingdom, but also, and this is what he's been helpful for me with, also participates with Christ, so that um, so that they're signposts, but they're also there's a participation with Christ in the sign itself. In uh, so, for instance, uh, in marriage, uh, marriage is both a signpost to, to Christ and His Church, but it also participates in the reality of the gospel as well. So kind of sounds like he's trying to preserve uh, a little bit of the value of the thing itself so that it's not just, you know, a, a platonic ideal where it, the, the real value is, is in the heaven somewhere. somewhere. Right. No, yeah. he's, he's, he's saying, no, there's, there's actual participatory value or, or uh, a participation in the thing itself. Um, and he's also trying to help you develop your, your kind of palate. For, because one of the one of the things that uh, he's pushing against is the the kind of um, origin you know early church father where there's a allegorizing of everything and so he's using Jonathan Edwards as a kind of field guide to navigate uh, uh, typology how do you how do you uh, see types in all of nature I, anyway it, it's an interesting read to say the least um, here are the chapters I'm just going to read them the Bible nature science law history, animals, sex, sports, world religions, and a new world. So that's Everyday Glory, Jerry McDermott. Michael, I got, am excited to get a copy of that. Yeah, I got you that. a copy of that. And, uh, and by the way, uh, Baker publishes that, Baker Academic. They're sending some copies, maybe at least one copy to us for a giveaway leading up to that uh, leading up to that podcast interview, so we'll figure out how to give how to give that away on social media the week of. Look at us! Look at Doing us! Doing a giveaway. <laughs> All right, Michael, what else are you going to recommend? Um, yeah, let me let me throw out. Uh, we read Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Uh, you know, probably what was it four four or five years ago now? Yeah, that's right. I just recently picked up Home um, by Marilyn Robinson. And uh, finished that before I started Brendan. Um, and I just really fell in love again with Marilyn Robinson's writing. Um, home is home is a story of 
really a story of a father and son. It's re- it's really a a type of uh, prodigal son story, um, but it's it's so good. Um, she she makes the world that she writes so relatable and uh, easy to enter into and easy to to picture and um, yeah, just just the way that she. Un- unfolds levels of complexity in the characters that she writes is really compelling and beautiful. And uh, I, I found myself with, you know, they're, they're the same characters from Gilead, um, a lot of them. And so I found myself seeing new sides of the characters and Right. Is this the um, third, is this the third book? Does it, does it go um, or is Lila the third book? I think home is the second book. I think that's right. Yeah. I think Lila is a great third. name, by the way. Say that again. I said Lila is a great name. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Did you name your yeah, daughter after Lila from Marilyn Robinson's fiction? Not directly, but um, yeah. Okay. Emily was Emily was reading. I can't. I think it was after. Uh, I don't know. Emily was reading Lila by Marilyn Robinson around the same time that our daughter was born. So she, she at least deserves a shout out. Emily does. Uh, yeah. Oh, you mean Marilyn Robinson. I was going to say, Robinson. Emily definitely deserves a shout out for bearing your <laughs> daughter and naming her. I thought, I think that goes without, without saying, but Marilyn Robinson does too. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's more what I meant. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. So if you've, if you've been wondering, uh, should you pick up Marilyn Robinson? Uh, let Michael's naming of his daughter be recommendation <laughs> enough. So home, yeah. home is the story. Uh, it's the second story. It's kind of a prodigal son kind of story uh, taking place in the same world, kind of in that Wendell Berry. Um, what is it? Fort Williams. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yep. That's Wendell Berry idea. So, okay. Marilyn Robinson. I was hoping she'd make the list. All right. What else, Michael? Um, yeah, let me throw out another. So I, I gave a couple of fiction in there to break up all the uh, kind of Christian life reading, but I'm going to come back with another uh, kind of Christian life cultural engagement book um, I read recently called Love Thy Body uh, by Nancy Piercy. Um, and it's a, it's a little longer. Uh, it's a little it's a little denser of a read. She's really engaging with uh, worldview um, and, and kind of going after this dualistic split mm. uh, between internal, mental, spiritual, emotional world and bodily, physical uh, world. And, and she's saying there's, there's an unhelpful split uh, between those two that causes us to devalue um, our bodies in some very apparent, uh, culturally apparent ways. Um, and so, you know, just, just to prep you, if you are interested, it, she, she talks about, um, she talks about abortion. She talks about homosexuality and transgenderism Um she talks about really uh, the sexual ethic in general, um, but but goes after some some pretty 
big taboo cultural issues um, in a in a helpful way, in a compassionate way, um, and, and and in a way that I think will, if if you're interested in reading it, will resource um, your thinking as to uh, what what exactly is going into these beliefs. Good, good. Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. You know, I, I read Saving Leonardo by her, and it was, it's kind of a, a sounds maybe not the same, but there's, uh, she's, a, she's a cultural critic writing from a um, Christian worldview, Christian background, and so um, seems like there's some similar, you know, Saving Leonardo was about some of the dehumanizing forces in the secularization of our culture, and so uh, and I, and I recommend that. So I, I'm on board. I'm going to pick up, uh, love thy body and take a look at it at some point. It'll go on my queue of books somewhere in the back. And, and let me say this, um, you know, one of the things I was a little bit lamenting as I was reading it is that it felt to me like a book that needed to be read in conversation. Um, so she was bringing up a lot that I was really interested in and, and found myself really compelled by. And, and I wanted, I wanted to talk to someone who disagreed with me, um, who, who maybe even disagreed with, with Nancy Piercy. And so, um, I just would say if there's a way that you can do that, uh, <laughs> that's, you know, that's honest, that's, that's sincere. Um, in a way that you can do that, that's open, that you're, you're, you know, you're open to engaging in a conversation with someone who maybe will disagree with you. Um, that, I think that would be awesome. Mm. So good, good. Yes. You know, and, and by the way, that's that the idea of reading in community, reading in, in, um, uh, in fellowship with other people, reading in conversation with other people, highly recommend it. Highly, any of these books would be helpful uh, and, and, and also, by the way, let me take a step back and say, uh, we're, this is a pretty big dump of books, you know, pretty big, uh, we're dropping you know, 20 books here. Uh, it's not as though, it's not as though, Michael, you and I are reading all these this summer. Some of these are books we've been reading, are reading, plan to read, and our particular calling allows for probably more reading than the average listener. And so, so, uh, we want to give you all of these and let you kind of just cherry pick what sounds interesting, um, you know, let you encourage you to just say, "Oh, that that one—that's the one that I'd like to read this summer." And when you do that, uh, would be great to do that with someone to say, "Hey, let's read this together." And, and maybe even someone like Michael just said, who uh, is coming at things from a different worldview or or doesn't share. Maybe even if even if they are a believer and you're a believer, maybe is is a uh, you know maybe you got an Anglican sister out there that you can read with, and you guys might disagree with things. Uh, about things, but um, you can read together and be in conversation together. Highly recommend that. Uh, hey, let me let me throw a few more out there that uh, that I am going to be reading. One is this book was recommended by a friend of ours called A Multitude of All Peoples by Vince Bantu, a professor out at Fuller Theological Seminary. The um, subtitle is Engaging Ancient, Ancient Christianity's Global Identity. And so, um, yeah, I'm interested in this, uh, interested in seeing a, um, you know, uh, some of the, the Middle Eastern, North African, African, uh, Asian 
perspectives of writing in the early theological uh, ancient Christianity. Um, you know, I think our our preparation at Southeastern was good in this. I feel like I was exposed to writings beyond just um, a kind of narrow Western, um, you know, post Luther uh, history. But even so, I'm I'm interested to go into a little bit of a deeper dive into a broader um, uh, perspective on the early church, recognizing that the early church wasn't American. Uh, it wasn't Northern German. It was, um, it was situated in, in a, in a, in a kind of Middle Eastern, North African and Western context. And so excited to, to dive into that this summer, uh, and, uh, hopefully gain some from that. Another one that I'm really excited to dive into, uh, probably, uh, of all the ones I have not yet read, this is my number one that I, I'm excited to get into, and it's called The Care of Souls, Cultivating mm-hmm. a Pastor's Heart. Number one, uh, Michael, you're the only one that can see this, but look at this. Look how beautiful this cover is. Um, you, you, can is. Judge, you can judge a book by its cover, and I judge this to be a good book by its cover. Uh, it's, this is by a guy by the name of Harold Sinkbale. That's my best guess. Um, He's a Lutheran pastor, uh, runs the executive director of Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care. Um, Heard a lot of really good things about this, not just from my Lutheran brothers and sisters. And so uh, excited to dive in. You know, what we do at the Bonhoeffer House is really we are trying to train up and raise up and form the next generation of pastors and church leaders. And one of the practices that we really emphasize and hope to recover is the practice of soul care, of caring for the souls of our people. We're not just preachers. We're not just information givers. We're not just social media influencers. God forbid we're, we're to care for the souls of those people whom God has entrusted to us. And so, man, I'm excited to get into that one. Uh, Michael, if you can afford it, I'd encourage you to buy it and read along with me. Um, so that's The Care of Souls, Harold Sinkbill. Do you have any more you want to recommend before we wrap up here? Sure. I'll, I'll throw one more out. Um, I've been trying to read pretty broadly for pastoral ministry. And so that's why, you know, the, the book on emotions and the book on blessing, uh, the book on love thy body, cult, cultural engagement with those issues. And, and so one other, you know, area that I felt like, man, I, I just don't really know much when it comes to this is economics. <laughs> And so I, I found a book called The Economics of Neighborly Love by Tom Nelson, um, who I forget the name of his ministry, but, but started a ministry that, that basically is helping churches to engage their communities for, for the common good. Um, so it's a ministry that, that talks about wealth creation and job creation and things like that. And so I, I just, I mean... I think yesterday or the day before just finished that book. And so I haven't totally had time to, to process all of it, um, but really enjoyed it. He is pushing for uh, the church to be connected to their communities in tangible, meaningful ways while, I mean, over communicating the importance of staying, staying connected to the, the most important reality of people being reconciled to God. Mm. Um, and so he's, you know, he's pushing for, Hey, let's, let's care about the, the economic flourishing, the, the physical flourishing of our communities. 
um, while not losing sight of the fact that wh- why we want to do this is so that they will be restored and, and reconciled to God. So really enjoyed it. Um, it, it was, I, th- I felt like it was a good balance of theological and practical. Um, so he had, he, he built, he built a pretty solid foundation and then, and then had really helpful practical ideas for what, what that could look like to invest in, in your city and your community. Um, so good economics of neighborly love. Good. Yeah. I have not, I have not read that book. Um, I know Tom Nelson, I think is a, he's a head pastor in Kansas who, uh, he founded and runs an organization called made to flourish. Uh, yep. and so that's what you're, yeah, what you're thinking of. And, um, Cool. Yes, that sounds really interesting. So you have a guy who's who's got a pastoral vision for what flourishing means, uh, but also going beyond just um, you know what what may be co- typically considered to be pastoral concerns like within the church, but actually into what does flourishing look like every day for every person in the community. I love that. Okay, any last books you want to recommend, and then I'm going to close out with a few of my own. Um, You've got. Sure, I'm, I'm throw- looking at a list here. You've got a nerd book on here. I was going to say, I'll throw out my nerd book. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I love, um, this is a book that you would wear a cloak of invisibility while you read. Yeah. Yeah, Or, or maybe you'd be in some kind of, uh, mystical forest. Is there a a guild that you, you're in when you read this book? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Make sure that you read this with a fellow guild member. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I love books like, uh, like, Lord of the Rings and um, yeah, even, even to maybe a lesser nerdy extent Chronicles of Narnia, but I've, I've heard this recommended by so many people and it took me a long time to get around to, but, but I finally am it's next on my list. So it's called uh, the way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. And if that doesn't sound that nerdy, yeah, tell me what the sub subtitle is. I will make I will make you aware of how nerdy it is by telling you that it's book one okay. of the Stormlight Archive. There you so. go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but All it's right. been it's been recommended to me by you know a handful of just friends. Um, Guild but then members. It's also been rec- I saw it recommended. On, yeah, <laughs> uh, I saw it recommended on the Gospel Coalition by. Um, they did. Uh, they did a list of of contributors. Just uh, I think it was their favorite books of 2019. And so, it, I mean, granted, it wasn't like the 10 best books. It was like 10 people's top 10 books. But um, it made it onto the website. Yeah, you're not you're not alone. There. You're I mean, uh, uh, Sanderson. My understanding is he's written quite quite a few books uh, with quite a few readers. Not all guild members. Some some people. Uh, you know, a wide audience. Storm you might convince Light me Archive. to read this. Go ahead. You might convince me to read this because the Stormlight one... Archive is not his only archive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he has many archives. Okay, good. Yeah, jump, jump in. Read it with me. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but that does bring me to um, one thing that I, I don't know that it needs a recommendation as though, as though, um, as though we're going to help the sales of the Lord of the Rings, but, but it is something I'm reading right now. Uh, my kids are 10, nine and seven, 
and I decided this spring that I was going to, uh, oh, actually last year I read The Hobbit. Uh, And so this was something my mom did for my brother and I when we were kids, when I was eight, nine, 10 years old. I remember my mom sitting in our bedroom on the floor in the door jam in the doorway uh, reading the Lord of the Rings to us while we would fall asleep. We had a little, we, we, my brother and I were like sardines. We had a tiny little room and we had a trundle bed. So we had to pull his bed out and then you couldn't open the drawers to get to the clothes in the dresser until you closed his bed. Uh, so, so we'd be in our little trundle bed and she'd be reading. So, so I have picked this habit up from my mom reading these, uh, the Lord of the Rings with my kids right now. We are, uh, we just left the council of Elrond um, mm. still the second half of the first book, Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, so if you've got kids out there and they have any interest in story, um, if you want to be a, a guild member in a fantasy guild, uh, <laughs> read the Lord of the Rings to your kids. We, we do this again. This is not not an every night thing, but uh, probably two or three nights of the, of the week, I'll read for about 45 minutes to an hour. And we're working our way through that way. Uh, another work of fiction that I'm going to be reading this summer, this is going to be my beach read, is Hannah Coulter by, Will, uh, by Wendell Berry. Um, this is something I have not read for quite some time, but, uh, I have read Jaber Crow a few times over the years, read Hannah Coulter years and years ago. And, uh, I just decided this, this summer I'm going to read, I'm going to read it again. So this is another yeah. one of his, he's, he's written quite a few books in his, uh, Port Williams, Kentucky kind of world. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, this is one I'm going to read, uh, going to read this summer. And then finally, let me close my book time, our book recommendations with this one, uh, that I am in the middle of reading right now and is a easy read, is an engaging read, is funny, um, and, and, but still a little rough around the edges. And this is a book called What Church Can Be, An Optimistic Vision by a pastor uh, in Boston, a church planter by the name of Matthew Cruz. Uh, this book is, um, we just actually on the Gospel Underground, we just did an interview with him about this book and about church planting in Boston. He's the head pastor of Seven Mile Road Church, uh, which has planted, I think, seven or eight other churches. Um, and this book, here's what I love about this book, is it's an optimistic vision about church planting and how church can be, but it's, it's, a, it's a realistic, uh, I would say, a cruciform vision. So, um, hmm. he, he, uh, the, so it begins with uh, death, you know, it, right off the, but, it, but it's not like, hey, plant the church or come to church and die and it's terrible. It's more like, um, hey, when you plant a church or you become part of a church in a meaningful way, you're going to find a truth out. That truth is that when we die to ourselves, we actually begin to live, right? That, that, um, that real life can... So, so it's this appealing, alluring vision uh, that also is realistic about church planting, about being part of a really connected in, in a local church and how difficult it can be, how many tears there can be, how much hurt there can be. Uh, so that's one, What Church Can Be, I recommend it. We might have Matthew Cruz on uh, on the Hammer and Quill later this summer to talk more about the book. Um, and I'm going to probably recommend my Bonhoeffer House guys pick it up, uh, especially as they're thinking about church planting um, moving forward. So now before we close this episode, we do have, uh, we do have something that we want to invite you, our listeners, to do with us. So here we are. We just dropped about 20, 15 or 20 book recommendations. We don't expect you, you'll read them all. Uh, maybe pick one or two um, and read along with us. But but actually, we do have a summer reading project that we want to invite you to join us with. This summer, uh, this has been one of the things we do with the Bonhoeffer House is uh, we pick classic, classic books of theology 
not just theology. We've done this with literature. We've done this um, even with with kind of Christian living books, books like uh, The Cross of Christ by John Stott. But, uh, but going back further, we, we do like to pick uh, an occasional classic work of Christian theology uh, and, and work through it together. Uh, we've done Augustine's Confessions multiple times, Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship, uh, some Jonathan Edwards' works. Well, this summer, we're going to be doing Calvin's Institutes, and we're going to stick with book one. So uh, Calvin's Institutes, book one, and uh, this, is, uh, this is exciting for me. Um, if you have not read... And when I say book one, I mean, uh, I should say this, uh, there's a two-volume edition that is uh, printed by, I think it's, uh, well, I got to figure out who. We'll put a link in the show notes. A two vol- I, I, mean, I mean volume one, book one of that. Uh, and so we'll link that in the show notes. Uh, if, you've always, if you've wondered what Calvinism is or uh, what the Reformed faith is, uh, this would be a great summer to dive into. Actually, go to the source. What does Calvin say? And one of the things that I'll, I'll say to hopefully whet your appetite, allure you into this book reading uh, project is um, when you actually read Calvin's Institutes, especially when you get a good translation like the one we'll link to in our show notes, um, it is so warm and welcoming and uh, engaging. It is not dry and dusty. It's not cold. It's not harsh. Uh, This is devotional reading at its, or this is theological reading at its best, which is devotional. So what we're going to do, Michael and I are going to take turns um, on our house journal uh, blog web website that kind of goes along with the hammer and quill. We will post a weekly uh, devotional kind of thoughts from that week's reading. We're going to post a, a reading plan that will get us through this, uh, this first volume over the course of the summer and then we'll be posting things on there that have um, just some devotional thoughts from our reading. We'll enable the comments. I turned the comments off because I don't like comments on anything. Uh, but for this, we'll open the comments up so that if you're if you're if you're reading along with us, um, you can engage. We can have a kind of uh, we can do our own guild, our own <laughs> our own reading life together this summer. So consider joining us reading through Calvin's Institutes. Uh, slowly, in community, uh, in dialogue with one another. Michael, you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, um, just just add, you know, feel free uh, if you do pick up any of those recommendations that we threw out uh, and, and want to shout us out or, or want to ask questions as you read them, um, feel free to find the Bonhopper House on Instagram or or find us on, on the website or, um, yeah, just, just to tag along with the, the comment idea. That's right. Yeah. Give us a shout out on social media or comment or, or write to us. We'd love to engage with you and listen, thank you for listening. We hope that this has been helpful. We hope that at least one or two of these books has piqued your interest. We'd love to have you join us this summer reading Calvin's institutes. And, and we, we, we sat down to have this conversation because we think, uh, reading broadly, reading widely, reading deeply can be really formative for us, uh, can really shape us in positive ways. Uh, I want to close our time by, by reading from our friend Karen Swallow Pryor, who doesn't know how to underline in books very well, but does know how to write books very well. Uh, from her excellent book on reading well, uh, she says this about reading, just as water over a long period of time reshapes the land through which it runs. 
so too are we formed by the habit of reading good books well. Well, we hope that you join us this summer in reading good books well. We thank you for tuning in to the Hammer and Quill, Episode 9, a summer reading recommendation guide conversation. Until next time, peace. Peace.